You're listening to the Spiro Avenue Show. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch our full shows and clips and highlights on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoy. We are back on Spiro Avenue, back-to-back nights, and I am excited. One of our most popular guests ever last night, John Wharton, followed by one of our other most popular guests ever, Chris Castellani, Locked On Tigers podcast, good friend of mine. As my producer Ben said, a Twitter sensation, a Twitter uh, monster, if you will. Chris Castellani in studio again. It's it's so good to have you back, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me, buddy. I, I'm happy to see you. Happy to see Ben. Looking looking forward to this, man. It was said on this show by somebody, and it may have been me, about a week ago, that your head was getting a little too big for the show. That you were you were blowing up too big. That you weren't gonna you weren't gonna show up. And not only did you show up here tonight, you showed up and had the patience to let me finish my Zoom class. So what happened when you walked into my house tonight? You were uh, you were a bit busy. You were a bit preoccupied. Was I man. was I on the couch with my laptop? On? Yes, yes, you were. And, yes. Uh, hey, look, you're a busy man, you know, and uh, it, was, it, was, it takes a backseat to nobody. And you know, I, you're you're all good. I, I tell I tell my friend Chris. I say, you know, eight thirty, I'll be like ready for you. And mm-hmm. My class will be done. We're supposed to get out early. And the lady giving a presentation on the gender gap and why men are oppressive went like twenty minutes over her a lot of time. So here we are, but we are here. You're in my arms at last, Chris. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you. We we have so much to talk about, so much to get into. I'm not going to talk about the weather with you, Chris. Let's face I it. Figured. Look at the shirt. You're a Tigers guy. That's your bread and butter. That's where your passion's at. That's where the bulk of your following comes from. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about the state of the Detroit Tigers rebuild. A common theme on this show, a common theme in your commentary. I know the Tigers aren't going to win the World Series. You know they're not going to win the yes. World Series this year. That wasn't the goal. Nobody cares. No one expects that. But in general, the state of the rebuild, what are your feelings? Where are you at? I will say it. my hope is is higher now than it's been over the last several years. Uh, I thought the draft they had, while only five rounds, was probably it was one of the better ones I've had in a long time. Because it was the first time I felt like Avila had finally addressed a lot of the issues that people had pointed out, which is the fact that, look, there's there's good pitching here. You don't have any position players. I mean, your best position player in the in the farm system is 19 years old. And they went out, they got Torque, and they got Dingler, and they got uh, the, the Cabrera kid from LSU. You know, they got some legitimate pieces. Uh, so it's not really the system that I'm completely worried about now. We could argue the merits of tanking for days. I mean, the way they've gone about things, it's the easy route. Like, like the, to to fall into a potentially, hopefully, generational talent by you know sucking for four or five years is a fairly easy route to go. You're gonna get some pretty talented you know prospects out of that. Uh, I worry about you know, and you've talked about it with with me. You've talked about it with Tony Paul as the other week when he was on. I worry about their ability to develop players. I worry, and of course, you know, the the big the big elephant in the room. If and when the time comes where they do spend, I worry about one if they will, and two, uh, how they're going to spend their money. Uh, will they spend it wisely? And so I think all in all, like I am a bit more hopeful than I have been over the last several years. But I am as remarkably skeptical as, as anybody else right now. And, and you made really the bullet point that needs to be said again and again in terms of this organization's development that predates Avila, that predates Dombrowski, that predates Randy Smith. And, you know, you're a bit younger than I am, but I am 33 years old. 
and have never seen this organization develop, like draft and develop a position bat that was a star. You had guys that were sort of second tier guys, like, you know, Curtis Granderson, a very good career. He was close. He was close to a star. Close to a star, you know, a very good player. But I'm talking about like, you know, a top 10 in MVP MVP voting like more than once in their career. Like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be, you know, Trout's once in like a five generation guys. But, you know, even like an Altuve, somebody to that level, um, cheating a scandal aside. And, you know, you can notice my T-shirt. They do a lot of things right. I mean, either way. Right. They they have drafted and developed a lot of legitimate talent. They've done a lot of things right. The trash can stuff. The the Tigers do not have that in my entire lifetime. And that is a long time to not draft and develop one guy. I do think Torkelson will be the one to break that. I think he is almost too good to fuck up. I, I think it feels that, like you would think, right? And that, but that's why you suck. So you can get those guys yes. who are, you know, almost automatic stars. You would hope. I was fine with tanking, and if this were a Pistons conversation, it would get really hot because right. I have been so mad with what the Pistons have done. I think they have ruined their organization, and it was so easy to do it a different way. It was actually easier to do it the right way than it was what they did. They didn't choose the easy route; they chose the hard route, which was also stupid. Mm-hmm. I digress. I have no problem with the, with what the Tigers did, stripping it down. I would have liked to have seen some things done differently. The Matthew Boyd trade or trade that wasn't is an absolute unforgivable debacle. Horrible. It was blown. You had reports all over the baseball media, credible sources, not coming from me, not coming from the the local blog, coming from credible media sources that teams were beating down the door asking about them. Doesn't mean you were going to get a top 10 prospect. I was the one saying that that was a crazy expectation, but they could have gotten a top 40, top 50 guy. They didn't. They blew it. There have been a number of missteps, but the general sort of bird's eye uh, macro view, I'm fine with what they've done. But the question is, and this is what I'll pose to you, is when you get near that finish line, Tony Paul thinks we're, we're at the finish line starting in 2021. This upcoming offseason, not for winning a World Series, but for when it's time to turn on the Jets. Do you trust that Chris Illich is going to keep his promise to spend to supplement the roster that's coming up from the minor leagues? I don't think he's going to go about this like they're the Tampa Bay Rays. Right? I think that the the time will come in which he will hand out, you know, some contracts here and sign some legitimate players. Not one year deals. The scope's been excellent here, but let's those are those are placeholder guys that you get to fill a roster when your team is tanking. And I, I like them a lot. They were they were good players here. Scope's been you know, one of the better second basemen in baseball. When you had Tony on, he brought up that. Um, Chris Illich may run this more like a business compared to how his dad ran it. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that idea because ultimately what got them into this position kind of in the first place was that they threw all caution to the wind and they threw they gave a lot of bloated contracts out, especially late in the Dombrowski-Illich uh, era that set them back several years. You've talked about it with Tony. We've talked about it a million times with the Zimmerman deal and the and the the Victor Martinez deal, giving him that four year extension when you probably could have and should have given it to Scherzer. Obviously, a difficult situation for uh, Victor coming off and runner up for the MVP season. But uh, I do think at some point uh, the checkbook checkbook will be open. I hope and I, Avila promised this. He did say this that after 2020 things would be different. Uh, I'm skeptical. I have seen nothing right now that instills any sort of trust that this front office knows what they're doing outside of tanking and falling into good draft picks. And if you, you know what, maybe there's one or two so-so hits. The the uh, Alex Avila, Justin Wilson for Paredes Can- Candelario deal, sure, a, a mild success. I can follow that up with four or five 
undeniable failures. Like I'm not I'm not gonna say the guy's doing an unbelievable job just because he, you know, he traded for Paredes three years ago. So I, I it's the same thing. It's I've become a broken record at this point, but we'll just we're gonna have to wait and see. Like I I don't have a ton of faith, but I'm not completely counting him out. When you look at the assets liquidated, Justin Upton, Justin Verlander, it, you know, it's it's a long list, J.D. Martinez. Yeah. And you compare that to what other teams received in return. Like, you look at the White Sox are trading Chris Sale and they're getting Yohan Moncada. Greatest rebuild of all time. Michael Kopech. And, yeah. like, you know, it's I don't get how this is the one organization that can't turn a superstar, whether it's an expiring deal or not, into at least, like, a usable starter who's going to be a solid, like, you know, fifth or sixth guy in the lineup. I'm not even asking for a Yohan Moncada type, you know, 940 OPS last year type guy. That I think they've been wholly inept. And my position is I have two issues with where this team is going as an organization. Number one, they extended Alvio last year based on no merit. That was very strange. This is going to be the guy that, okay, let's grant that Chris Illich is going to keep his word. Chris Illich is going to spend. He's going to, he's going to be honest. Let's pretend that's true. That happens. Mm-hmm. Who's spending that money? Alvila. We've seen Alvila with a pocketbook before, and that was when we had the aforementioned worst contract in Detroit sports history, Jordan Zimmerman. Everyone always says, no, come on, and they can never name a worse one. It is the worst contract. He was good for three weeks and has been shit for five years since. Yeah. Worst contract ever. Yeah. They went and signed Mike Pelfrey for two years inexplicably. No reports of him having an offer for a second year anywhere else. Multiple teams saying they would only go to one. That's why he didn't go there. Tigers are the suckers giving him two. Mark Lowe, the Tigers fell for the oldest trick in the book, the 32-year-old reliever with mediocre numbers that had a solid year out of nowhere and a small sample size. Let's give him $5 million or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So we've seen him with money. So even if I'm to trust Chris Illich, I don't trust Alvila. I mean, can you can you trust him? You said yourself you don't see any tangible reason to think that we can. The only hope, and look, this I'm, you know, this is kind of blind faith here. My only hope is that because that was at by the end of this season, that'll be five years ago. My hope is that in the last five years, um, he's realized the error of his ways, and he he will be, uh, you know, he won't be as impulsive, you know, handing out some of these ridiculous contracts now that's once again i mean the guy's what 60 65 i mean i don't think you know you, it's hard to believe that a guy's changed in five years but it's an mean, expensive internship exactly right but he's you know that's kind of the, he's still the gm of the team and that's, that's kind of the best you can hope for uh, at this point and, and you bring up and I, I i wanted to talk about this you know you brought tony brought this up and and we brought it up a million times the lack of returns they've gotten for some of these guys you know for verlander for jd Steve Stone, the color commentator for the White Sox, pointed this out on Twitter the other day that you don't trade players so much anymore. You trade contracts. And after 2015, that was the year when everyone said they should have hit the reset button. And, you know, they finished last place. It would have made sense. That's when you handed out the Zimmerman deal. But to me, the window of opportunity where they where they screwed up and a team like the White Sox thrived was that 2016 was the year afterwards where they should have pressed reset. Because they had a good team in 2016, came came up short, should have made the playoffs, didn't. But you had Justin Verlander, I mean, basically winning the Cy Young, right? I mean, I know Porcello came in and stole it, you know, kind of on a technicality. It was, Ver, it was Verlander's to me. Right. It, it, but his stock was as high as it had been in years. You had Ian Kinsler, who just had an all-star caliber season. You had JD, who still had one full year of control on that deal. You had several guys who you could have gotten a heavy haul for 
and you waited. You waited until all you did was dump salary for Upton for a guy who no longer plays professional baseball. You traded J.D. Martinez for Dowell Lugo. The Verlander deal, look, I think there is bad luck involved. Franklin Perez is, you know, apparently made of glass. You know, you can't, there's, there is bad luck there, but they haven't developed Jake Rogers well. He hasn't learned to hit at the major league level and wasn't that great of a hitter at the minor league level. And Daz Cameron has, has struggled mightily. So it's like the, the returns they've gotten for the time probably make sense. It's, it's the timing of the trades to me where they have really screwed up. And the big contrast for me is we were coming right off the heels of the Dave Dombrowski era for whatever you want to say. I always defended Dombrowski. wasn't perfect, had some qualms with him, mm-hmm. namely the bullpen. Jonathan Papelbon, head case or not, was still great, sitting there for nothing, could have had him for nothing, didn't get him, bullpen blew it. That's why this team doesn't have a ring. I think if they get Papelbon, they do. But Dombrowski, if you look at the trade record, and there's a long list of them. You know, he had the, the bad trade with the Reds, Suarez for Alfredo Simone. Disaster. Yeah, terrible. But beyond that, I mean, stole Carlos Guillen. Stole him from Seattle. Gave up a, a guy named Juan Gonzalez, and it wasn't that Juan Gonzalez. It, you know, he traded for Scherzer. Traded for Austin Jackson. Made one good move after another. Traded for Edwin Jackson. Got a good half season and then dumped him. Just, the Infante, Anibal Sanchez deal. Jacob Turner turned out to be nothing. Doug Fister. I mean, yeah. just the list goes on and on where he was giving absolutely nothing. Obviously, you know, the Cabrera trade. It, it's just he has a bevy of moves that he made that spoke to his IQ. So whenever people give Dombrowski a hard time, and again, I, there were, there's fair criticisms. I'm not saying he's beyond reproach. But there was an extensive documented track record of successful transactions. We have not seen that at all from Alavila. So like your answer to my question was basically, no, I haven't seen anything, but like, yeah, he's the GM. That's where we're at. And that's kind of where I'm That's what you at. have to hope for, though. That's where you know, I want him to succeed, obviously. But, we but that's do, a but sad state of affairs. It is. No, it is. It is. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's, the card, that's the card we've been dealt at this point. And that's a terrible hand to it be is. dealt. I mean, let's it face is. it. And, hand, yeah. and the second component of this whole thing is, in this hypothetical, I granted that Chris Illich is a man of his word. He's going to spend. But Chris Illich is on record in this town with only one other major promise that had a chance to develop, that he had a chance to deliver on, and it went kaput. Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, Detroit District. The District thing, yeah. Detroit, where he sat in front of the, the city uh, council and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you give me $365 million in tax stipends and get me over the hill here, this is what I'm going to give you. And he's holding up big artist renderings of palatial apartments and movie theaters and restaurants and hustle and bustle in the city of Detroit. They gave him the money, and they didn't break out one shovel. They didn't scoop up one pile of dirt other than the build parking lot. So I have one big, massive promise that he made that he had an opportunity to deliver on that not only was not, it wasn't just under-delivered, it wasn't a failure. It wasn't even attempted to be fulfilled. So now here comes promise number two. Trust me, guys. Stick, stick with me. Hang in there. Don't give up your season tickets. I've heard these pitches because my family's involved in that. They're telling us Chris is going to spend. Just hang on, hang on. They're, they're imploring everyone that to just trust him. Mm-hmm. He's 0 for 1 yeah. with a big whiff. Yeah. You think that he's going to be a, a moderate spender and run it as a business? I Look, no one's asking for him to be Mike Illich. Mike Illich was irrational in the most wonderful way possible. And I was grateful for his irrationality. Right. Other than when it chased Max Scherzer out of town because Mike's feelings were hurt. But I, I do have fears that we have two things that need to happen. Avila has to be competent. We have no evidence of that. Chris Illich has to keep his word and be a spender all of a sudden. No evidence of that. 
So this whole hope in the Tigers is on two pillars of sand as far as I'm concerned. Do you think that they, at the end of the day, we saw in 03, they were the worst team in baseball history. I'm not counting the Mets that were an expansion team. 119 losses three years later in the World Series. That's a high bar. But do you see, let's say 2024, this team playing maybe in the ALCS? Is that reasonable? Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. A lot needs to change. And a lot regarding the front office has to be proven wrong. Uh, there is legitimate talent coming up through the system here. I think that they will be, they at, within the next two years, will be able to field a team that is competitive. And by competitive, I mean in it by August, you know, by, yeah. you know, but like if you, you know, put a gun to my head and said, will this team be playing, you know, or competing in the ALCS by 2024? I mean, right now I'm saying no, because you know, I'm a, I'm a facts guy. I'm a numbers guy. There's no, and I'm an evidence person. Like there's no evidence to support that that is something that, that could happen here. Things can change. Nobody said in 03 that three years from now this team would be playing in the World Series. But and not as a Cinderella team, as a prohibitive favorite. Right. Yeah. A team that was, you know, until the last week of the season, you know, the best team in baseball season. Yes. So they had the best record at the All Star break in 06 in all baseball. Right. Yeah. You know, the, um, so no, I don't, I don't have a ton of faith in it, but so obviously, like all things, subject to change. You know? But and the thing that spurred that three-year run was, you know, Verlander came up, but people forget Verlander was a rookie in 06. He, yeah. was, he was solid. He was actually kind of shaky in the playoffs. He, was, he yeah. was not a huge part of that team. He was important, but that team was built, that World Series run was built on Dombrowski's free agent signings and trades. You know, Polanco, Guillen, Maglio, Ivan Rodriguez, Kenny Rogers never gave up a run in the postseason. He was a man. Yeah. It's egregious that he didn't pitch game five in St. Louis, by the way, but that's another yeah, story for a different pitched, day. Should have pitched game one, too. But yeah. Should have pitched game one, but when you have him, with, they had that rain out or snow out in St. Louis. Yeah. You had him on full rest. He didn't even need to be brought back on short rest. Yeah. Oh, it's not his turn in the rotation. What, what a dumb, the guy's got 22 to consecutive shutout innings, your season's on the brink. Yeah. You got to bring that series back to Detroit and, you know, flip the momentum. But we digress. The yeah. point is that jump can be made, but it's predicated on those two pillars that I don't think either one are in place. And you need both. They need they need to go two for two. One for two isn't enough. Chris Illich spending and Al Vila being a dummy isn't enough because we saw that once. Yeah. We saw that. It in didn't go well. Right. It was a disaster. Pelfrey Lowe and Zimmerman. Yeah. So, okay, Illich spends. That's great. Is Avila going to suddenly get smart? I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. No, I have trouble buying it, too. I, I have a lot of trouble buying it. I just, you know. You have more faith than I do in the prospects. And here's what, and here's what I'll okay. tell you. I we, we might actually be closer than we well, let's, think. Well, let's find out. Okay, let's because out. Here's, here's the thing. There is the biggest misconception about the Detroit Tigers is that they don't develop prospects well, but have done a good job of developing pitchers. That's wrong. That's yes. not true. Because let's agree. go down the list here, okay? Everyone says, oh, they developed Verlander. Sure. Okay. Now, they also lucked into Verlander. If it was not for that archaic rule that allowed the NL and AL to switch number one picks, they would have taken Matt Bush in that draft. But you know what? That's beside the point. They got, they got Verlander. And they almost didn't sign him. They had 10 minutes left. Right. They, but, they got Verlander. Yep. Justin Verlander, in terms of pure stuff, has probably the greatest arm of any pitcher the last 25 years. I right? think that's fair. Right. And... If he would have gotten drafted by the Orioles, Padres, or Pirates, would have been a perennial all-star. Yes, I agree. But, you know what? Hey, that sometimes you luck out. And they did develop him. You know, they did a good job with him. He turned into a... They didn't get in his... They didn't fuck him up. Right. Okay. Let's... After that, who is there? The one people go to, Rick Porcello. 
Rick Porcello wasn't very good here. Rick Porcello had a 4-4-5 ERA or something in Detroit. When this team was really rolling 2011 to 2014, and it was his turn through the rotation, you'd say, all right, well, they got to get some runs tonight. It's not Scherzer. It's not Fister. It's not Verlander. You know, Porcello's on the mound. He might struggle. Went to another team and won a World Series in a Cy Young. You can make the argument. They held him back. Who else? Fulmer. Doesn't count. He pitched about 10 games in the minor leagues in Detroit. Uh, Corey Knable went to uh, Milwaukee and, and pitched some good baseball. Yes. Robbie Ray doesn't count. You know, he was throwing the fastballs at 93 in Detroit, goes to uh, Arizona and picks up five miles per hour in velocity. Who else is there then? It Drew was, Smiley? It, is that, that's probably the next uh, one. I, it's probably my least favorite player in Detroit Tigers history <laughs> for a, a number of reasons. And, and we'll leave that alone for now. Yeah. But uh, here's, here's the counterpoint to that. And I feel like I'm arguing against myself now because I agreed with you for the most part. Mm-hmm. But just to clarify, you're talking about drafting and developing because to their credit, they import Max Scherzer, who never looked anything like he did. It's true. I mean, he he was shaky that first year. Actually, got sent down. Right, and they they fixed. But they he fixed was him. he was he became something he never was before he got here. Mm-hmm. Doug Fister was solid in Seattle, became something he never was. Anibal Sanchez, solid in Miami, Florida, whatever, was not an ERA champion in the National League. He was here. That's right. So I do think at the major league level. That they did well with that starting pitching. It, yes, I would. I would agree. And the, they, the yeah. drafting and developing in the in the lower levels of their system, it's it is uh, very much on the table. Which for is criticism. which is the problem because you're basing an entire rebuild on three to five young right-handed starting pitchers. That's the whole basis of this thing is is based around developing Mize, Manning, and Scooble. And I'm not saying they're going to be bad. I think they're going to be fine. They, you know, the stuff is great, but I just I worry about that because as we talked about with the free agents, there was not a whole lot of evidence to support that they know how to develop properly. And and my concern is, you know, and I'm pulling up Scooble right now to see where he's at, you know, because I missed his last uh, start, you he's know, better. but I, yeah, I, I know he, luck, but I know he's better. But either way, look, I'm not putting a ton of stock into what Casey Mize and Tariq Scooble's numbers are after like four starts. Of course, right, but. Right. I just to say it is worth saying that for all the buzz about these guys, we haven't seen any of them perform at the big league level. Not not a one. Mize, it's, yeah, Scooble, Manning can't get up here. Yeah, it's fr- Manning did not look good in spring. Well, terrible. And he did not look good in summer camp either. Uh, but well, it's frustrating, and I don't blame them. It's just frustrating that you see guys from the Indians, guys from the White Sox. Getting called up right away. Tristan McKenzie, Tristan McKenzie looks like he's going to compete for a Cy Young yes. next year. And look, sometimes look, guys develop quicker than than others. But when you don't have a whole lot of evidence to support this team's ability to develop young starting pitching through the minor league systems, it is cause for concern. It's not them. I think the players will be fine. The st- as long as the stuff looks good and they're staying healthy, you can work around that. You know, Lucas Giolito was the worst pitcher in baseball two years ago. He's a bona fide ace at this yes. point. So, you know, weirder things have happened. But it is it is frustrating when the only promise of hope we've had here over the last three years has been, oh, you got to see these guys in the minor leagues. They're going to be great. These pitchers, the minors are great. And you they, you call them up and they're still developing and they'll continue to develop. Now, I as much as I believe they should be here, as much as I want them to, to be here, you know, they, they they had the long COVID break as well. You know, and, and I know, you know, yep. they it sucks, but they didn't pitch in AAA and they're they're kind of, you know, learning as they go. But at the same time. 
Didn't bother Tristan McKenzie. Didn't bother that Garcia right. kid from the Yankees. Yeah. And, and it's not a condemnation of them. I'm not saying no, I'm terrified or I'm crit- but I'm just saying that it would be nice for all the bravado about oh the Tigers are loaded with pitching. Mm-hmm. We still haven't mm-hmm. seen one guy show shit on the big league level. It may happen. So, Scooball was you know it was a promising start last time out. You got to win five innings. Now, to yeah. The eyeball test is nice, but. Your numbers are your numbers. The guy's ERA is almost seven. Right. Tiny little sample size. I know. I know. Everyone calm down. I'm just saying we haven't seen one guy actually do anything on a meaningful level yet. It is very early, but I'm just saying you can't count these chickens like they're already hatched. Right. And we, the last time you were on the show, we talked about it was before the draft. You know, we were, everyone was saying, you know, everyone knew the Tigers were going to pick first. And I said... I wouldn't just automatically take Spencer Torkelson because, oh, our pitching is set. Because you're, you don't know that your pitching set. None of those guys had made it to the big leagues yet. Now, I would have taken Torkelson. I think they did the right it thing. It was a slam dunk. Because he was the yeah, best prospect. He, he was. And he had been for a long time. But, but my point at the time was, look, if you think Emerson Hancock or whomever is better, you know, the pitcher for Georgia, yeah. you, you take him. But Torkelson was the best prospect. They did the right thing. But I'm just I, I'm trying to dispel this myth that like, okay, yeah, the pitching set. Because right. it's not. Because all the, and Tony Paul pointed this out when you had him on, not all these guys are going to develop. No. Like, that's why you hoard starting pitching. It is way more difficult. And that's why the the basis of what they've built this rebuild on, or, uh, rebuild around to me is kind of flawed. It is very difficult to develop starting pitching. It's way more difficult to develop starting pitching than it is position players. Because if it, if Spencer Torkelson, you know, knock on wood, if Spencer, hopefully this doesn't happen. If Spencer Torkelson pulls a hammy running down the first baseline, he can rehab it, come back, power will be back, you know, bat to ball yep. skills will be back. If someone suffers an arm injury as a pitcher, your stuff becomes worse. And some of that stuff and guys can grow. We've seen great Cy Young winning pitchers, you know, come back from from serious arm injuries. But it there are certain elements to that that is tough to gain back. That's why, like, you look at what the Astros did, the Cubs did, the White Sox did primarily with a few exceptions. You know, the White Sox loaded up on everything. But for the most part, it was built around position players because that's a more of a guarantee that they're going to be successful. I, the biggest thing that drives me nuts with the Tigers beyond what we've already discussed ad nauseum is this international free agent thing. And I, I admit, I'll plead ignorance. I have read into this. I still don't fully understand this slot I'm a, stuff. Sim- I'm a simpleton. When it I don't think that. the teams understand it half the time. I gave one guy that doesn't get it is Al Vila. I don't think he gets it because, I mean, you can the, the rules with the stuff, the Major League Baseball, and I'm a diehard baseball fan, Chris, mm-hmm. but they are a terrible league in terms of how some oh, yeah, things are. I mean, yeah. how some yeah, things course. are. Yeah, I, mean, you're right. like, I think even the biggest baseball fans of the world would admit that. I think yeah. you should be able to trade draft picks, for example, like the whole slot value thing, I think, is a disaster. Like, yeah. you know, please don't go over. Like, you know, Bud Steele was right. like, hey, here's the recommended amount of money. Like, don't, no, 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 naughty, naughty. It's, come on. Like, either, either have no cap or do what the NFL does and says, this is the number, shut the F up and we're right. done. Yeah. But, I, you know, the fact that this team has done nothing of merit in the international market, you see there's some misses, but the hit rate's very high. Yoana Cespedes, a Cuban phenom, very good. Well, they almost got. They didn't. They Dombrowski wanted him. I, but didn't get him. They didn't. No, very didn't, good no. career. Uh, Yoan Moncada is an absolute star. A little bit down this year, but is a what? He's had the leg injury. He's a, he's a he's stud. banged up. Yeah. He's le- he's legitimate. It was yeah. a 940 OPS guy. Is a yeah. 24 year old. He's legit. He's he's a, he's a machine. 
He's stud. You know, Jose Abreu, also in Chicago, power hitter, very good career, came over a little bit later. You do have like the Rusni Castillo, which was a disaster. There's been, there's been some misses mm-hmm. too, but the hit rate is actually pretty high. Uh, my favorite player in baseball right now. I was right about now, to say, you didn't mention your boy. I was, I was building up okay, to him. Yeah. It, it, the Cuban Mike Trout, I call him Louis Robert. I don't care how many times they say Robert. It's Louis Robert to me. It just he is basically the Cuban Mike Trout. He's I mean, a top twenty player in baseball already. already. Yeah. He 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 rolled out of bed this morning and was already at that level. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know you have to understand that there's a lot of merit to diving into that pool, and they have not done that. And you look at what other organizations have done that has expedited the White Sox rebuild. Having and I traded for Moncada, but. Getting a guy like Louis Robert in the outfield, mm-hmm. that that speeds up your timeline by a year or two. And yeah, that might get you there at all versus not at all. So I don't know. I, I, I don't like anything that they're doing except for the losing part. I think they needed to. <laughs> but anybody could do that. Right. That's what I said. It's easy. Yeah. It, that's the thing. And that they, they got it right, but I don't like how they've gotten it right. And and awkward statement, but I, I'm trying to explain that the only thing they've done right is the losing that a four-year-old could have done. Mm-hmm. And I'm not giving them credit for drafting Mize or Torkelson because a monkey could have done that. Just, you know, pick up the, the top name on the chart. Right. So I have no faith in them. You have a little bit more faith than I do. I'm, tr- I'm trying. Because I, I, want, I want to be excited about this. Like, I want to believe in this core but there's there are a million external factors that uh, are against this whole thing right now two pillars yeah both of sand chris <laughs> remember this in three years and i hope i'm wrong i hope you can sit there and, and say hey yeah, well, a little optimism yeah, well, i mean that yeah, would have killed you justin wonderful. No. I, I hope i'm wrong i would like please be right chris spend like we're all for it i don't buy it that's where i'm at so i we're talking about your your attitude that you're a little bit more optimistic and you have had a transition you know in your life and your uh, presentation you sort of got your bones being just the absolute like passionate hothead tigers guy and you've sort of pivoted uh, i don't know if that was a conscious decision or a natural occurrence into your more uh, measured and reasoned and i think you've actually enhanced your profile by doing that what, what was your process well there? thank you look I, i'm glad you asked about this because I, I like I'm, i find it fascinating the process this whole thing started as like kind of a joke okay it was it was a thing where i was i was in college I was 21 years old. You know, my mental health at the time was was deteriorating, right? And what all I had was uh, this like incredible passion. I'm sure it was boring the hell out of my roommates. Like we would get into these arguments, and I would get I would get so enraged whether it be talking about Michigan football or Tigers baseball. I would have loved to have been there for those. It, well, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe at first, but I'm sure it wore thin. But it, and so it was like I was in a very different place in my life. And I what I wanted, what I knew I had was passion, and I wanted to find a way to condense that into a short time span. And all it was started out as with me going on these ridiculous rants, which by the way, and I know there's some people who enjoy, I can't go back and watch them. Anything I made before like a year ago, I can't watch. I I, I don't like the, the like the videos themselves. I don't like the guy who particularly made them. It's a difficult thing for me because it was, it was a, a whole lot has changed in my life. But, you know, it, it it was one of those things that was meant to just be something I kind of shared with my college roommates and we would laugh. Hey, man, you should say this. I'm, you know, pushing the envelope, you know, just being kind of that that crass sense of humor. Yeah. But then like people picked it up and like Barstool picked it up and journalists picked it up and broadcasters and athletes. Uh, and it became something 
bigger than I expected it to be. And it's been it's been scary. I don't love it as much as I used to because there is like a certain uh, pressure at this point. And I think what I realized, I don't know when it was, probably maybe a bit over a year ago was like, look, there is an audience here, but the whole Tiger's rant guy persona is a one trick thing. Like eventually that's going to wear thin. And I knew I had more to offer. I, you know, through conversations with you and other people, it's like, I, I can speak on this stuff in a way that like, you you can get attention by not just being the guy who makes the most noise. And I've been able to uh, continue to grow with that, you know, and part of it too is like the team's not good. And it's like, what what am I going to do? Like, I I remember I go back and like, if I have, I haven't recently, but like early in 2016 or 2017 when like they were, you know, losing games to the Rockies, just trying to suck. And I was getting mad. I go back and watch I'm like, what are you fucking angry about? They'll get Casey Mize out of this. Don't you understand? But no, I, some stuff is uh, difficult to watch and, and, you know, that team's not that great, so it's hard to get that into it. But I know, I just figured, like, look, I got more to offer here, and I can be better here. And uh, it, it's grown. It's grown. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but it's it's been a, an overwhelming process, for sure. Uh, a scary process at points, but also, you know, rewarding. You had one video in particular that, you know, the I think it was the he's injured video, right? That, that was, was the bar. That was video, the big yeah. bar stool one yeah. that, you know, you're screaming and you're just going nuts. And yeah. I mean, I think you're there's a lot anyone can yell. I mean, you're yes. you got picked up because you were yelling, but you were actually making like really funny jokes and points yeah, there was, there was humor there. Yeah. It was no, actually, I, under, I completely understand it was actually appeal. it was yeah. good it was good content i mean to be honest but yeah. you know it, i kind of liken you to a social media version of mike valenti who came in and sort of made his bones as a hothead uh, most famous for a rant that occurred in the first year of his career yeah. 2006 after a michigan state meltdown against notre dame 17 points in the fourth quarter yeah. and it's like it took Mike Fellaini five, six, seven years to shed that, like the Notre Dame rant guy thing. And yeah. it still, to some extent, follows him. My friend Scott, when um, you know he heard you were going to be on the show the first two times, because I think this is your third appearance now, mm-hmm. was saying like, what's he going to do, just yell for an hour? I'm like, no. you get- <laughs> Look, I, I get it, though. I get it. I but completely like, no, understand. Does, it. That's not Chris's whole thing. Like, right. that was, you're, no, you're I taking understand it. A, a smidgen of it. Right. So I, I, you know, I just want to throw that out there, that I, I like what you're doing, but I will say don't bury it if it's there when it comes back if it comes back because i think i know from my own personal experience with myself it's easy to withdraw when they suck but if i see them start bunting in the second inning in game seven of the alcs i might be making a chris castellani circa 2016 video look that part of me is still there uh, you might see it from me R- i right. want to see if it's in there no it's don't look, hide it it's That's there all I'm saying. but the the openly and it took me a while to come to terms with this because this is the first time i'd experienced something like this yeah it was because all i'd known really my entire you know preteen, teen you know young adult life was competitive tigers good tigers tigers that spend tigers that sign good free agents yeah. and this was something new and it took me like I don't know, like halfway through 2018 to be like oh oh they're trying to suck and it's like it's hard to get you know that emotional about it dude i i truly hope the day comes when I can be angry about it again. I really, I really do. I because it would mean that the team will be competitive. Like, and I said this 
a couple of weeks ago in Mize and Scooball got called up where it's like, this is the, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to be aces right away. This is the most invested I've been in the Tigers in probably four years because there's actually mild excitement here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed for those, you know, couple starts being, you know, feeling like, okay, we turned back the clock a little bit. I hope it continues. Yeah. It's hard to get really invested in the success of a guy that's here on like a one year. Like I'm not going to get fired up on how Josh Harrison looks, who's right. just a stopgap to like turn the you calendar root for, for him only not this year, but you root it for him only in the sense that they could potentially be trade pieces. Exactly. Like the, way, the way you rooted for Leonis Martin when he Which, was here or something. That but, is that. Yeah. And that is not true love partner like that. No, that, of course that, not. That no, is, no yeah. they, they don't. They're just passing through. Yes. Right? They're, and, and they're like prostitutes, basically. It's why, honestly, and I've had people get on me about this this season. And look, I think it's an it's been a nice little story. Right. Okay. They're cute. Cute little they're story. 500. I know full well. I've said this. I've shouted this from the rooftops. There's another nine-game losing streak in there. I, I know I it's coming. The same way. I don't care if they the are 500. Way. They are, they will find a way to screw this up. I don't care if they are two games up, you know, in that eight you know eight seed spot with four games left, and they're all against the Royals. I I know it's coming. I know they are going to crash headfirst into a wall because that's kind of the nature of what they've been trying to do. Like I'm I'm I know it's a shortened season. I get that. For the most part, teams that don't try to be good don't end up being good. I don't care how many games you play. And it's been hard for me to, you know, get that invested yeah. in it. There's been certain elements that I've enjoyed. Like I've liked seeing Gregory Soto step up. That's a guy probably it's a, been fun. a piece here. Yep. Brian Garcia, well, I think some of the advanced numbers don't support, you know, have shown he's been a bit lucky. The guy's got good stuff. He's been solid. Like some of the young guys seeing them. I'd be totally fine with them re-signing Jonathan Scope. You know, the guy's only 28 years old. I'm yep. not saying give him a you know five-year, 200 million dollar deal, but he seems to like playing here. He likes hitting the ball in the park. He's had a lot of upside, and and I think was kind of overlooked after he had a dreadful contract season um, in 2018. But he's a good player. He's a good. He yeah. has a track record. Yeah, and he can be here on a four-year, five-year deal and and produce through the length of that contract. And be here when they're good. Yeah, I am all. I was fine with them not trading them because they weren't going to get anything that Dude, good. I'm the same way because we've seen, and I, I tweeted this out, but it's worth repeating. And we talked about the timing of the trades, but right now, the Verlander deal, the JD deal, the Upton deal. I'm, I'm leaving a few others out, obviously, but just those three in general. The the Fires deal have returned right now. You know, word is still out on some guys. A grand total of zero major league players. Yep. And you have a guy in Jonathan Scope in a, and that was in a 162 game season, no pandemic, nothing. And you have a guy in Scope who's had a, who had a great 30 game stretch. You know, it'll be another Dal Lugo situation. Maven made more sense. You know, I mean, they seem to enjoy, they seem to enjoy trading Maven. Is that short? It's not going to be anything. The only reason (laughs) it made, he's not part of it. You know, the only reason it made some sense is I think that. It was. It's part of the youth movement. I think they want to give Demerit another shot. I don't know. And I they called up Derek Hill now with the Jacoby injury. Serious doubts about him as a player, his bat. But you know, I would. I said this from the beginning. Young guys coming up and struggling still infinitely more interesting than Ivan Nova giving up five, seven runs over three. You have innings. some. You have some level of investment in what's going to happen going forward. Like nobody cares about. Uh, what what some guy that's going to be here for two months does nobody gives a of shit course, right. and that and that's the difference. I want to pivot. This is big in the news today. Oh boy, you're a Michigan guy. I am. You're a Michigan fan. Mm-hmm. Your coach's brother was just in the news today. I don't know if you saw this did, saying, yeah. "quote free the Big Ten. He's issuing an edict. John Harbaugh is saying, "Enough's enough. 
let's play. Jim Harbaugh has uh, himself laid out all the reasons why the Big Ten should play. Should they play? Will they play? Well, this is probably a cop. I don't know. I'm not. Nobody knows. Right, I'm, that's the thing, and that's why. What do you I, think? The, my guess is, and I don't. I don't have a ton. Of, I don't have a source here, but this is just personal guess. I think they will set a tentative date for mid to late October. And the reason I say tentative is because this is the ultimate experiment, right? The SEC could get three games in, have a huge COVID outbreak, and cancel the whole thing. And if that happens, Kevin Warren looks like a genius, yes. right? So I think my guess is they will probably tentatively schedule a date. If the SEC is still going strong, if the other conferences are still going strong, they'll play. Now, it will create the the biggest clusterfuck ever if we get to the college football playoff and Ohio State is 7-0 and and you're comparing their resume with a 11-1 and Alabama team. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work out. It's a complete mess. There's no good equation. Um, I There seems to be a disconnect. Like the... I, yeah, everyone wants to see him play. There seems to be this weird notion that like they're all being held back because reasons or you know people had political you know nonsense into it. Everyone wants him to play. I want to. I want to see. You don't want. You don't want to see it. No, I want to see it. I don't know if I buy. I think I. I happen you to do buy. think that there's Tony a- Paul pushed back on me on this when he was uh, in that chair across from me because I think he is. You know, I don't know if Clay Travis coined the term, and I don't love everything Clay Travis says. He's no, certainly no. controversial. I like some, I don't like others, but I, I think he coined the term Corona Bro. He'd certainly Probably, use, yeah. he uses it a lot if he didn't coin it. I mean, he, he certainly has T-shirts. He has T-shirts, yeah. so he's mainstreamed it if he didn't coin the phrase "Corona Bro" for the uninitiated is basically like in, if if Clay Travis was here explaining it, he would say "Corona Bro" is someone that is actively rooting against sports that wants everything to shut down, wants the whole thing to shut down forever, and it, there is a large segment of the sports media that seems to be kind of rooting for it. What I, percentage would you put it at? Of the sports media, yeah. 65%. Wow, really? More than half. Wow. Are okay. to some level. Now, there's varying degrees within that 65%. You know, somebody like Dan Wilkin is in the extreme, or Dan Wilkin would be, it's like the guy would be thrilled if we never played sports again. Tony Paul would be at the upper end of that, too. I'm sorry. Look, I, what am I supposed to do? All I can do is read what they're saying. And I, I look, I'm not saying they want people to, to die, but they are so emotionally invested yeah they want sports but people would rather be right than to get it right and these people are so down the rabbit hole of covid's gonna kill us all the and look i i'm not like the whole thing's a hoax i'm not i'm not no, that guy no. i think those people are are nuts right because i'm a nursing home administrator i had people that i really cared about die mm-hmm. from covid mm-hmm. so i i get it it's a serious thing but I do think that it is fair to say there are some people in the media. I told Tony, I, he's kind of in that camp a little bit where it's like anytime you see a positive case pop up, they are retweeting it and saying, oh, oh, told you, told you. Like they're openly celebrating it. And I get the sense that people are rooting against it. I get why people push back on that. But that's my perception. And I am certainly yeah, not. I don't, I don't look. I don't follow it as closely as, as you do with this stuff. You know, so <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think if you're a person, you know, if you if you think it's not safe, that's one thing. Like that's understandable. If you have evidence to back that up, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think if you are in sports media and you don't want sports to be played, uh, I you know I think that's a bit that's a bit odd. But that's. You know, but if you're if you're yeah. puffing your chest out when there's a outbreak somewhere, 
that to me is someone that just wants to take a victory lap more than someone that is uh, melancholy over another uh, setback in their supposed goal. If they're saying, oh, we're of course we're dying for sports to come back, I would think when a story comes out of an outbreak at this campus or that campus at uh, my school, UNC right now, my current school, mm-hmm. they had they were on, on campus for three days and they had to pull back. Yeah. And that quote-unquote Corona Bro crowd was celebrating it like their team just won the Super Bowl. That does not seem reflective or indicative to me of someone that is so uh, invested in sports returning and they are so sullen about uh, this bad news. They are celebrating it. I will say, I think that, I, I, I saw part of this with baseball. I saw several several people that I've, I've worked with who were like, man, you can't play a season. You got to cancel the season. And yep. look, in fairness, it was June, July. This thing was still going really strong. Yep. Um, they didn't have any sort of, you know, formula, you know, working out a bubble principle. You know, apparently, you know, I've heard that that apparently was never going to work. I don't know. I, I didn't really look that much into it. Uh, but there were people who I don't know if were excited about it, but internally, I'm sure felt a little bit of satisfaction every time there was, you know, some COVID outbreak, like because it, yeah. it validated their opinion. Yes. Um, mm. I which I thought was strange. It's like, look, I. If it if baseball got to a point where it was no longer safe at all and guys were getting sick and look we've started Eduardo Rodriguez got a heart condition out of this like this is that's a you know nasty thing yep. but I you know give it a shot is what I'm asking if it, if it turns out because like I said it's the ultimate experiment that's what baseball's been they gave it a shot they had outbreaks Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesac acted like idiots you know what they did they tightened the protocols it's not a bubble system but it. it essentially is in terms of where these guys can and can't go yes um it might have to be like that with college football the one disadvantage you have is that you can't do double headers for college football you nope. can't you can't do makeup games for college football uh and so that i think it's kind of an all or nothing thing where either you play the whole thing or if you have one or two outbreaks the entire season is kind of derailed there's a lot less room to to wiggle with in football just inherently it's they're both sports but they're so different it's a great point that i never even really thought of but that's true baseball can flex just like basketball can i mean they were canceling games just you know for social reasons not even and just yeah yeah, we could play tomorrow no big deal football doesn't really have that luxury yeah you know they can't do that i think you put it perfectly when you said it is the ultimate experiment and that's what everyone needs to understand this whole thing is both an experiment and it is quite ultimate Yes. Yes. This is an unprecedented experiment. This isn't tinkering with the DH in the National League. This is an unprecedented, unchartered territory we're in. And everybody needs to have just a little bit of humility because both sides are so sure that they're right. And that's where I'm talking about the quote unquote Corona bros that are celebrating. Conversely, you have the other side of that coin where people think the thing is basically a hoax perpetrated by I don't know, Trump or Hillary or God knows who, Russia. There's a different theory all over the place. Right. Uh, some political reason that this is in place, which is nonsense. Everyone just needs to calm down because I, I promise you, you do not know what's going on. Right. Because that's, that's why I haven't discussed it much. Because well, we're, we're just I just make videos. So we're, we're being silly goofballs right. in my basement. We don't right. really know. Right. I'm not presenting myself as an expert. Right. We're not claiming. And to, you weren't right. brought here. I brought on here as an epidemiologist. Right. You know, let, let's make no uh, mistake. But. That's my point is that even the top epidemiologists in the world have gotten this wrong at every step because it's impossible to predict an entirely novel virus. So everyone needs to calm down with this know-it-all. We should definitely play. We should definitely not play. You know, whatever decision you make, 
you're taking a measured risk, you know, one more economic, one more of the body, you know, there's cost benefit analysis to everything. I have a better chance of staying alive if I stay in my basement than if I drive. Everything we do has some level that what risk are you willing to take? And there will always be that there will, no matter what, whether we go through this ordeal right now or five months from now, there will always be the, is it too soon? I mean, to compare it, obviously, you know, different extremes, but it was like that after 9-11 where people are like, when, when is it time to get back to work? When is it time to, you know, have TV shows again or bring sports back again? It's the same thing here. There's never, unless this thing is completely wiped off the face of the planet, which it never will be. There's no set date in which, okay, time to get back to work. It is, it's a, I don't envy any person who has to deal with this, whether it be in the big 10 or any other sports league. It's, it's a mess. Let's lighten it up. Yeah, let's do it. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Okay. I'm still going to be, you know, uh, an old codger, but okay. I'm gonna, it's going to be an old codger about a lighter topic than okay. people dying. Yes. Total pivot. The state of the movie industry. Oh, yeah. You're a big movie guy. I'm I a big am. movie guy. Yes. State of the movie industry. You're a big, you're a movie critic. You, you got your YouTube channel cranking. You got a couple thousand views on some of these yes. already, which you rolled out of bed. You just started putting them out and they're already gaining a lot of traction. <laughs> People respect your opinion. I I shoot you messages all the time. Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? I respect your taste. But here's what I got to say. The state of the movie industry is a disaster. It's a bigger disaster than sports. But you are not just you, but you and people that embody you are a big reason why. And I love you. Okay. I want to hear hear this. I this. I blame you. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you subscribe to this i have i can't wait to see avengers 17 the the last uh uh, fuck in the sand and and, and you perpetuate it because you get excited and you watch one of my best friends that he trains me is uh jared uh he's probably watching right now big big fan of all those he's got like a thousand little dolls i'm I'm telling you you're perpetuating this crap i love the batman movies but i don't need to see wolverine 18 the last revenge or whatever right the state of the movie industry is a disaster. Okay. Do you do you not see the the downside to going with these where you just have like six different franchises repeating again and again and again? Yeah. Okay. This will be a long response. Let's go. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. I'll just turn my Here's mic on. No. <laughs> yes and no. Yes. The reason why I get excited for every Avengers is personally, and once again, it's completely subjective. It's personal taste is because I find all of them to be entertaining and good. If the, if the moment came where they fell off, where they were no longer of quality, where I didn't find them entertaining, I'd stop watching. And we see that with, we've seen this with other franchises. Franchises pivot. When Tim Burton's Batman came out, it was a huge deal, right? And then they yep. made Batman Returns, and it wasn't as big a deal. Then they made Batman Forever, and Jim Carrey was a huge star, and it was a massive success. And then Bat Nipples, Mr. Freeze, all the puns, and people stopped going. Nobody saw it. You know, yep. films are are you know, let's as much as I enjoy them, Hollywood films are products. When products no longer sell, they stop making them. Like the DC would have gone on making Ben Affleck Bat move, Batman movies forever, but Justice League didn't do very well. Batman versus Superman was underwhelming. Yep. So to me, it's I I get the notion behind it. The fact that right now that we are probably going to see within the next couple of years three men over a six year stretch play the Joker is an insane thing we're getting to that in a minute right but also the fact that like you have you know i always go back to dc and i can they're kind of a punching bag but it's i think it's fair um right now you have the matt reeves robert pattinson batman which looks badass it's one of my dude i i think it's one of my favorite trailers i've seen my tongue okay i gotta turn my mic off i'm gonna say something i'll say this and we talked about on twitter 
watch some of his recent stuff. The dude's yeah, a great I ha- dude. I, I have to, to be fair. It dude is a powerhouse. He really is. Like, he's become a real chameleon. Matt Reeves is a great director. The most re- the Planet of the Apes series he did was phenomenal. But you have that. I'm fine with that. Cool. It's be- you also have, in a separate universe, same studio, different filmmakers, you have Michael Keaton coming back to play Batman. Like, that is a... And Ben Affleck coming back. They're setting up a multiverse. That, I think, is one thing where people will start to jump ship. Because, like... You have this is this flash movie that they're doing is I refer to it as the ultimate cinematic Hail Mary because you have a uh, a star playing Flash who was caught on video choking a woman and like nothing's came of it. You have <laughs> so bad. Yeah, you have Ben Affleck who all but admitted nearly died playing the role the last time. And you have a man who hasn't played the, the part in 30 years. Now, look, I think it's a dumb idea. If you have good writing, I'll enjoy it. Back to the original point, though. Is is it too much? Is there oversaturation? Like I said, Hollywood films are products, and products have brand names and brand recognition. For the most part, I think it's some. It's ninety five percent of films are either adaptations, remakes, or sequels. Right? It's why I root for and champion, and I haven't seen it yet. A Tenant, or an Inception, or you know, a smaller movie. Let's say like Whiplash. My favorite. You still movie. have to see Midsommar. Right, which I've heard was yeah. very good. Yeah. Original ideas. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, unfortunately, and you, you pointed me, Avengers Endgame was the biggest movie of all time. There's a lot of me's out there. Well, right? well, I said there's a lot right. of the you. Yeah. I'm not. I said that. But here's the thing. You you are making a great argument for the studio head. I, I know why they're doing it, because yeah. people are buying it. Mm-hmm. It's if it's commercially viable, they'll they'll make seven thousand of them. Yeah. If they're making money. Yeah. I get that. I'm not blaming the studio head. That's why I said I'm blaming you. I'm not blaming <laughs> Hollywood. I'm blaming you for liking it so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a big movie guy. You mentioned some uh, great ones recently. Yeah. Would you rather see the Shawshank Redemption, something like that, for the first time, or the 17th iteration of X-Men? I mean, it's the Shawshank Redemption. But we're not going to get the Shawshank Redemption when we're so focused and the Hollywood dollars are on. Well, we won't get the Shawshank Redemption seen by a lot of people. And, you know, that's a once in a million didn't get seen in 94. It was a box office flop. Right. But that's, you know, that's what separates, you know, the casual moviegoer from the true movie fan, right? Is like the people who do seek out the the smaller independent stuff. It's like, to me, what a film is not good, and I know you're not saying this, a film is not good or successful based on the amount of money that it made. Like, no. The Transformers movies are some of the biggest movies of all time. Twilight made a lot of money. Right, Terrible. exactly, right. And, and so, like, I, the products will make the, the money, but. Ultimately, and and uh, your, Mr. Cowherd pointed this out when he was talking about the Cowboys the other week. When you get to the Oscars, it's the smaller film that wins it. And I have no that's their moment to shine. And I have I have no problem with that. No. Well, I don't know. I, I hate the state of affairs. Like I look back to you know the '90s, early 2000s, like what you see, you know. Goodwill Hunting, Shawshank Redemption. The 90s was an awesome decade. Seven. Yeah. I mean, it's like even, you know, Forrest Gump, which is, I love it, but it's polarizing. Some people think it's corny over it's the top. It's overrated because the year it won Best Picture, it was up against Pulp Fiction and the Shawshank And Redemption. Shawshank, right. Yeah, like, come on. Murder's row of movies. At the movies, same time, but... though, I never agree with the Oscars. Like, I, the last time I thought the Oscars wow. really got it right was like Hurt Locker. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you who's going to win. It's, it's like whatever, you know, social theme yeah. is like no, hot. There's, like, there's definite truth to that. I, I'm sorry. 
I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding. It's like, oh, it, it's a it's a woman having sex with a fish. Like that's that's cool. Like, I didn't the, see it, a single person who had Green Book as their favorite movie of 2018. No, it's like, it like, as long as you have some type of like oppressed person, it's it's gonna win. It sells, I mean, yeah. I, it, it, that's you know they're playing to the crowd, which you know I probably would too. I guess. I, I guess. Mean, yeah. There's I'd, something to be said for playing to your audience. I prefer but, the best movie wins the award for best movie, but you know. But you you want to see X Men 17, and I don't want to see X Men 17. I I think it, 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 there's another component to this. First of all, it's just the over-commercialization, which I don't blame on Hollywood. I, I blame on people for not saying no to the 17th X-Men. I blame the fans. I blame the Chris Castellanis for perpetuating this stuff. But I do think that a certain genre of movie is just dead. And I I don't know if it'll ever be revived. And we can finish the movie point on this, and I want to move into our, our uh, final Pattinson thing. Mm-hmm. But Wedding Crashers, one of the best comedies of sort of my like late high school, early college mm-hmm. generation. I was 18 when it came out. Obviously, you're a bit younger, but you've seen I've it. I've seen it, yeah, of course. You know, Wedding Crashers, old school, comes out in 2003. These sort of crass, like my generation's Animal House, yeah. you know, Revenge of the Nerds type stuff that is pushing the envelope. We haven't seen something in that family come out in six years, seven years? I will... I would say there's maybe one other that compares to it, both in terms of audience and just, I would say in terms of humor, The Hangover. Yeah, but when, now you're back in 2009. Right. That I would, That's still a while ago, but I, but yeah. my point, I, in that, I include that, but I'm, yeah. my point is we haven't seen anything like that. I, I, I want to say what, I would, forgetting Sarah Marshall was actually pretty tame. I mean, relative, 2008, yeah. relative to some of those, but I mean, what, like Role Models came out, I think 2011? 2000, no, it's 2008, dude. Was it? Yeah. yeah I see. That was man, November, I, th- I think. I Don't I, ask me how I remember. I thought I knew. I, I'm actually pretty good with years usually, but you got me on that one. But my point, that, this is the point though. We're putting right. the point. It's like we have to dive more than 10 years back. And I think comedy is just, if it's not dead, it's on the ropes. It's on life support. I think raunchy comedy is dying. And I think that this is where, and I'm usually very much against this, but I think it's, there is truth to the fact that in this very heightened PC culture that we live in, it's Todd Phillips, who directed The Hangover, talked about this. It's hard to do raunchy comedy that is accessible to a lot of people. What's shocking seems to be, more and more tame nowadays. It feels like, like oh, the, what people well, are. The lines sh- moved. Right. Well, pe- yeah. What people are shocked by, what people are disturbed by, is not the same as it was like in you know in the nineties or in the seventies. Like there were a lot of people like Seven. Right. That is a brutal movie, dude. Yeah. And that when it came out, it was just kind of this movie that people saw. Like Seven, in compared to Joker, right, a million times more disturbing. And yet Joker had think pieces about how it was going to incite violence and it was this yes. horribly disturbing thing. It's hard to make comedy or drama that pushes the envelope nowadays because you 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 are bound to have backlash. I think it's depressing when I think back. To me, the last really funny movie I saw, not that I laughed a couple times where I just like I laughed my ass off for most of it, was 21 Jump Street, 2012. Did you ever see This Is the End? Overrated. Oh, you see, that's, bad. that's and I like a lot of those guys love, yeah. too. That that's maybe the hardest I've laughed in a movie theater. Bad. In a long time. I thought it was really terrible. Oh, you, see, you see, my mom would agree with you. She couldn't. Say it that. was I, so I, bad, and I like those guys too. It's not like I was predisposed to like it. And right, uh, yeah. No. You see, I thought it was very not my cup of tea. But I, I also think Pineapple Express is like the greatest comedy ever, and everyone thinks I'm nuts. So you know, 2008 was an insane year for that. You know what? That might have been the last great year for comedy. In that summer, you had Step Brothers, Tropic Thunder. And Pineapple Express in about a three week span. Yeah, three comedies like that in, all in the, that July or whatever it yeah, was. That's the greatest summer ever for movies because you had Iron Man and Dark Knight and Wally. Like 
that's really rare that you it seems like that was kind of the last last hope there for the raunchy comedy now it, it is it is a dying genre it's sad and instead we just have to wait for the next action hero movie which i just don't like i do like the batman series but that's like that's it right so anyway we had the, we had a little fun thing with john warren that we did for the first time last night always been kind of an anti-gimmick guy i think it's very old school radio but we actually had a lot of fun i want to try it with you we're calling it kind of like a speed round. Okay. All right, let's do it. So it's not a word association. You get more than one word in response. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, you know, what comes to mind when I say this or when I mention this okay. person or that? And one to five sentences, you know, not a soliloquy, uh, but you know, you can say a few well, things. That'll so. be tough for me, but yeah, I'll do my best. Eh, no one's I'm not gonna buzz you. <laughs> okay. You know, say whatever the F you want. But right, uh, let's start. So I'm I'm gonna rattle through them though. Okay. What comes to mind when I say Dave Dombrowski? legend i think the guy was is a top five gm every year he was a gm in detroit and in boston a a bittersweet taste when you talk about him because of what he wasn't able to achieve here but i think we'll have a strong case as a potentially hall of fame gm i agree loved him i said he never got it done i thought he did uh, a lot of great things yeah. and it was it hurt to see him and so many other former tigers Verlander, or jd win as soon as they left it's but. weird because when he sets out to do something he, he does it more often than not like he's yes. trying to bring major league baseball to nashville now you know that's going to happen yeah like he's not going to stop till that happens so no, no it, it's what makes that run so much more frustrating that he he didn't get it done here. yes especially with the pocketbooks and the al central being a joke for most of that time yes. period that was it was tough uh, Juwan Howard, Michigan basketball coach. I think, I think the guy's an incredible guy. I think he did a good job in year one, really, because dude, that team wasn't that good. It, they didn't have a single shooter on that basketball yep. team. Uh, I think that this off season they took a hit. You had two five stars fall through your fingers, but yep. and like part of the reason why Michigan State is so excited about the recruiting class they have coming in here in the next few years, obviously the talent, but it's the fact that they have missed on a whole lot of guys that would have gotten them national title number two. That is the nature of college basketball recruiting, especially if you're going to try to keep a clean program. You're going to have five stars fall through your fingers. You're going to have transfers. I believe in him completely until I won't. Like I I have right now, I think I give year one a a pass. I think he did a fine job. Mark D'Antonio. I think over time, his legacy will be that of the best coach they've ever had. It still should be. There's some people with a bittersweet taste in their mouths because of the way it ended. I understand that. But you, I think over time, people will realize that his tenure here, you could say when it started, they were very competitive from 2008 to 2015. And then, you know, they had a bounce back year in 17. But the glory years, 2010 to 2015, uh, was the greatest stretch in the history of Michigan State football and will yes. be remembered as such. Yes. Legend at Michigan State. Yes. Sad ending legend, though. Yes. Jim Leland. I think he did some great things here. I think that he w- he's an old-time baseball manager. I don't think he would survive in 2020. In the age of analytics, yep. uh, in the, right. And, and it's part of the reason why he didn't survive past 2013, really. Uh, but I think remembered fondly, Lost his mind in the 2013 ALCS and lost it before that. You know, he made a lot of controversial decisions, but um, I, I probably don't remember him as harshly as some other people do. Like I, I'm, I'm because I grew up. There's a nostalgic element. Like I grew up with Leland as the manager here, but you know, I, a another complicated legacy. But I think over time, one that people look back on a little bit more fondly. Quick aside, 
I advocated at the time before it happened for the semi-intentional walk of David Ortiz in game two of the 2013 LCS, sitting with my buddy James Gorman, who will vouch for me. I said, Benoit's warming up, uh, Leland's talking to him on the mound, you know, giving him whatever he's giving him in his ear. I said, I would be telling that motherfucker, don't throw him one strike. You don't don't put the arm out, but don't throw him anything to hit. He's going to be pumped. He's juiced up, bases loaded, two outs. You know, this is his spot. Let him get himself out. If he doesn't, you're still up five to two, still one pitch away from getting out of it, and I'll go face Mike Napoli. Right. They blew it. And Napoli beats you? Fucking, you yeah, gotta, got a shitty bullpen. You can't anyway. let yeah. David Ortiz hit that. <laughs> I, What's the matter with it's you? Still, it still bothers us, doesn't it? It always will. That well, that to I me, was at Fenway that, for that. That is the Tigers. That's the Tigers. Buckner. That's the Tigers. Bartman moment. That like to me. That is the. But that's on the manager because I. If a I'm lot the of the, yeah. There I were four said, or five decisions he could have made. He made the worst one. I knew that. I I me with no credentials whatsoever said before it happened. You can't throw that guy a strike. This it's going to be a disaster. Like, at best case, he's going to have to double off the wall and clear the bases. Right. You know, it's it just, it, it was so obvious that was going to happen if yeah. you threw him a strike. And, of course, it's the first pitch, just a meatball. Yeah, I, it was. That's the, on the manager. Pitch selection didn't bother me because I you knew he was hunting fastball. He threw him a change up, and it was it was terrible. 86 miles an hour yeah. right over the yeah, plate. Right. So I the mean, like. Best a, postseason hitter of all a time. A good, yeah. good college player would have roped right, that. Exactly. I mean, yeah. just Fuck you. <laughs> just, that's, that's that's where that's where what I think when I think of Jim Leland. Really? Tell, so there's no there's no positive there at all. I mean, well, it's not that there's no positive, but it's just you know that's the enduring legacy, and there's a number of mistakes he made. But yeah. that 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 was the team that should have won yeah. even more than 06 or 2012. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's the best Tigers team since '84. I think you played the '84 team in a seven game series. 2013 has a good shot with that. Rotation. I think they probably beat them. Yeah. I mean, they're they're better on paper. It's just you know who yeah. knows to whatever extent yeah. you know chemistry. I think Leland will always be have a a more positive legacy than negative because of 06. I mean, like he did admittedly a remarkable job. He did some very good things. I'm not saying like the guy was a total disaster, but he had it when it when it came down to it. He had it. He went past his expiration date. They had that team. They had the team to do it. They were in the situation to go up two nothing on the road. And he tells Benoit for some reason to, yeah, go get it, go yeah, get him. him. Yeah. Who, yeah, this is the battle we want to pick, David yeah. Ortiz. Yeah. That, yeah, this is the fight. This is the guy you want to go. You don't have, you got a four run cushion. You got one pitch to get out of it. Yeah. This is the battle you want to get into. Ridiculous. Yeah. Unforgivable. That's, sorry, this is supposed to be your round. No, Fucking it's fine. No, it, you got me I'm, going. I'm entertained by it. You got me going with Chris Castellani yeah. and Chris Castellani. Mm-hmm. Celebrity you want to marry? <laughs> I mean, the, for the longest time, it was Emma Stone. I mean, that I was, wanted it, to see if you'd pivot. Though. That was the the well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more, yeah, I'm kind of attached to it at this point. That was you that can was, stay with it. That it's, was my high school uh, high school crush. So you want to marry Emma Stone? Sure. Yeah, you, uh, Emma Stone. Michigan football. Um, unfortunately, and I can't believe I've I've gotten to a point where I've said said this. It is what it is. It is a combination of Ohio State being a juggernaut, a a, a pro team. Alabama light at this point, right? Uh, the Alabama of the, of the Big Ten mixed with uh, failures in uh, the Harbaugh era, um, questionable coaching decisions, questionable substitutions, taking guys out of games when they've been you know running the ball 10 times for 100 yards and then not running them in the second half of a bowl game. A lot of questionable moves. Um, it's he unfortunately. This will probably be the way things are going to be here for the next several years until one of two things is going to happen. Either Ohio State gets hit with something, right, and and or two, 
Ryan Day goes to the NFL, which is possible, but even that, you know, they still have three years worth of pro recruits coming in. Or Harbaugh makes a serious adjustment. And by serious adjustment, I don't mean, you know, doing what State did and, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Twice. Like, right. I'm talking like you fire uh, Don Brown or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because early on in Harbaugh's tenure here, it seemed like he had that ruthlessness that is required to be a, a, a great coach. It doesn't seem like he has that anymore. Like it is weird to me that they have given up sixty-two and fifty-six to Ohio State each of the last two years, and yet that problem hasn't been addressed. Nor has he really talked about it. This is going to be a prize for Matt on Twitter, who wanted me to ask you this. He knows that he saw my production of Les Miserables at Meadowbrook in twenty thirteen. Knows I'm in the musicals. I have a production company. Mm-hmm. Knows that you're into this kind of stuff. He wants to know. He's about to win $50 because I'm asking you this. He wants me to ask you that if I were casting Chris Castellani as the lead in a musical, what musical am I producing for you? Well, it's not actually the lead. It is is a side. You can cast me in the lead if you want. But one of the first movies I ever was attached to, one of the first movies I ever ever connected with was West Side Story. Oh, I I love you. I, I wanted to play Riff. In West Side Story, Riff is way cooler than Tony. Yes, Riff is the coolest yeah. character in the in that show. So that's yeah. that that right away when I read that on Twitter. Yeah, that was yeah. Funny. Bernardo's pretty cool. Yeah, T- Tony's kind of like I mean, come on. Like, is yeah, he's Maria you're, probably you're could have taken Tony in a fight. You're right. Let's let's face it. Yeah. Sorry, Richard Beamer, but I you know I I'd probably take Natalie Wood if it came down to it. Yeah. My wife does not like that show, and it has been a source of major really? contention. Yeah, we've we've talked to a lot of therapists about it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, ki- I'm kidding, but no, she does not like that. I love West Side Story. Huge sucker for it. Mm-hmm. Was a, a little bit part in high school at Cranbrook, you know, artsy school and whatnot. Right. Loved it. Mel Tucker. Look, he's sa- saying all the right things. You know, I, I he seems like a wonderful guy, a good motivator. I was down on it at first, but I think both of us. When we looked more into his recruiting record, some of the history, I think I think it's a good hire. It is an absolute save compared to what looked like was going to be an apps. It was looking yep. like it was going to be a Michigan circa 2007, 2008 hire when they went to their fourth, fifth guy and, you know, fell into Rich Rod. And that was a disaster. They salvaged a guy who's, you know, got a good recruiting record. I wait I, a minute. Rich Rod. Rich Rod was second to Les Miles, wasn't he? No, Shiano, remember, I think was they it, it, no, over. It was, I, Rich Rod was pretty coveted, man. He was. No, I, I know mean, that, he, that, that. I would liken it more to going with Brady Hoke, where like they were so. talking. They were yeah. talking about like Harlan Barnett. I thought you were going more of a Brady Hoke direction. I mean, dude, both of them were a mess. Either way, know. it's just maybe it's Either just. Way. I think of John Hughes' book, and and that you know, it just seemed like there was a lot of lot of setup there for him to, to well, fail when he arrived. I can't um, wait for that show when he's in here. Yeah, but, but um, no, I think you know he's saying all the right things. I think he's a good guy. Fan base is in love with him right now because he's drastically different in terms of personality than D'Antonio was. I also know, and I've experienced this with Michigan, I've experienced this with Harbaugh, I've experienced this firsthand with other teams. The second they they start out one and four, that social media shit is all of a sudden going to become way less cute, right? And that's that's the the and I, I have no problem with him being active on social yeah. media, but I think I think he will do a good job here. I or here at Michigan State. It's all the state memorabilia. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he'll do a good job there. Yeah. I do think it is fair to say, and people crucify me when I say this, that D'Antonio's dominance while at Michigan State benefited significantly from the fact that many of those years 
Michigan was a disaster. All right, fuck you. I'm, no, you, 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 yeah. you know I'm right. That, though, right. That's such a soft spot for Michigan State fans, though. They absolutely hate I that. I know. Because it's the whole, like, you can't beat us when we're a good thing. And it's like, okay, but you didn't beat us when we sucked either. Right, it's like, it's you can the, always say that. It's the same thing in the early 90s with Michigan basketball. I mean, obviously, you know, recruiting, you know, yeah. violations aside. MSU was, you know, they were okay. But what did Michigan being bad have to do with Mark D'Antonio punching Urban Meyer in the face twice? Right. Something well, you where, couldn't do once. That's where his legacy is greatly enhanced. And that's where the argument just fizzles out, Chris, it does. It, because but, and, I, yes, did it help that Michigan was down? Sure, but they won at a level. They beat Georgia, they beat Ohio State on a neutral field once as a heavy underdog with two backup quarterbacks on the road that, against That was an his undefeated. finest moment. That was his greatest. No, There's enough did. evidence there yeah. sans Michigan being down yes. to say that it was a legitimate absent or present Michigan being good or not. But it did contribute to it. I mean, there was there was a small you could, well, there was a small contribution to the fact that Michigan got to a point where that was an automatic W on the schedule. It, right? it, it's a component, not an explanation. And that's, I'm that, no, fine. I think that's we'll, fair. We'll meet in the um, middle. On and that. you know, Michigan is now competent. They, yes. despite all the you know the the failures of the Harbaugh era, they still recruit very well. And there yes. will there will be battles. He has a very he should have a long leash here. As great as Antonio was, yeah, uh, did not leave them in the best spot. And, and Terrible look, spot. People, people, you know, that's that will be part of his legacy. Most coaches don't get to ride off into the sunset. Uh, most coaches, even the best ones, do fizzle out. Yes. At some point. Yep. Uh, and that was, you know, it was, it was it was his turn. So he's going to have, you know, I would say by I think you said this as well. By year three, if this isn't a team that's competitive winning, you know, close somewhere between seven and nine games by year three. They won't, you know, they won't get rid of him, but there will be some rumblings about whether or not he's the right guy here. I'm going to be more like those first few years. I'm going to be more eyeball tests. Like, are they playing hard? Are they playing disciplined? Are they quitting when they get down 14, nothing on the road? Like, are they packing it in at the, in the second quarter? Like to me, this, this cupboard is so bare that if you even start judging before year three uh, on a big level, I I think you're doing it wrong. That was one part of the D'Antonio era that, like they struggled with a long time was lack of discipline. I mean, not even taking into account off the field stuff. You know that one. Yeah. Time. Like just dumb penalty. I remember in the the 2007 Michigan game. Michigan's down 10. Greg Matthews is five yards out of bounds, and I think it was might have been Chris <laughs> yeah, L. Rucker. Yeah. Just just you know just yeah. just bulldozes the guy. Like that. You know that's the type. Of, I think that falls under the eye test. Like yeah. if you're playing fundamental football and still losing. Well, sometimes you just don't have the talent, and that will be for the first couple of years here the yeah. case. Yes. Yeah. Everyone needs to just wait the one thing i'll say with the social media stuff everyone is like oh he's so cute and clever i love that he's doing it it's what i would do i think it's, it's a neat a, change it's yeah. how you relate yeah. it's a very nice breath of fresh air but it's not i it's not this isn't a criticism but just to clarify it's it's a little more calculated it, he's not this like jovial you know jolly guy spontaneously tweeting this stuff it is extremely strategic and crafted. This is not a criticism. It's just... No, as, just it sh- as it has to be. I did a little tribute, because you know, I'm a little itty-bitty production company, and we did this little tribute song to Mel Tucker and the New Era Michigan State Football, and yeah. called the song Relentless, and there was a little cartoon picture of him that an artist that I'm uh, friendly with drew for me, like just for the cover art for the song. That song was up for like four minutes, and I got an email from the company that like represents Mel Tucker's brand. It was like, hi, we represent Mel Tucker's mm-hmm. brand. I got basically a CND, a season desist, really? like take the song down. And I said, no, it's fair use. Like yeah. it's a picture of a famous person. And I refer, I don't even use his name in the song, like F off. And, and yeah. they, they did. I mean, yeah. but it, that was up for five minutes and I got a letter about it. So it's like, it is, he, he is paying somebody a lot of money 
to tweet for him to tell him to do this record this video it's very very calculated that's not a bad thing i no, think it's actually no, a good he, thing he, yeah because he gets he gets the value in that and reaching recruits in that way but it's just funny because the michigan state fans are like oh i love coach tucker like he's so cool and down the earth maybe but he's smart this is strategic mm-hmm. he's not he's not as like off the cuff as he's presenting right of course that's all i'll say i'll get back to this is supposed to be your round no you're fine most overrated movie ever This is a tough one to just throw at you. Yeah, that is tough. Um, oh boy! All right, I got one. Let's go. I hope I. I don't disagree. think it's a bad movie. Yeah, it doesn't have to be bad. Overrated. Yeah. I don't think Raiders of the Lost Ark is that great. Oh, I agree. A little overrated. Because to me, okay, Indiana Jones Four is a bad movie, right? With the yeah. nuke in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Outside of that scene, right, where he, you know, he survives a nuclear blast in a fridge. I don't think it's any dumber than any of the other Indiana Jones movies. Like no, those, they're, they're, they're fun. They're yeah. fun. Yeah. I but to me, like it's it's good. I understand why people love it. But uh, in terms of early '80s, late '70s, Harrison Ford, like Empire, to me is still far and away, you know, his his best movie. Yeah. You, know? you want to hear my most overrated movie of the last five years, if not the last thirty? I'm, I might have to duck. Can I guess? Go. A Star Is Born. Did I already tell you this? I remember that tweet. You said this was a yes. silly movie. And it is an absolutely ridiculous movie. You see, I it, it made my top ten of the decade. So like great soundtrack. Amazing. Which, by soundtrack. the way, I love the music in it. By, by the way, that script is a train wreck. You see, I, I thought it was great. It I haven't takes, seen it. I haven't so seen it. In a, I haven't seen it since oh I saw it in theaters. But it, it makes no sense. Bradley Cooper's at a party, falling on his ass, and, and Lady Gaga, who's like in love with him. This is like the love of her life, and she's like. Ah! he does that it's like you're not at least a little bit disturbed by this guy the guy's in an obvious free fall he's a total disaster and she doesn't like realize this until he pisses himself at the yeah, grammys the Gram- yeah i mean it's it just it was a silly script awesome soundtrack though and great performances i thought that's the bra- no, best bradley cooper's been in anything they, the acting was good yeah. the script was preposterous i also think not the most overrated movie ever but extremely overrated in terms of recent times i'm gonna duck because i know you disagree Joker was not that good. Part you see, I loved it. And it's it, not that good. It's one of those movies. I wonder how it's going to age. I was amazed by the fact that in tw- or 2019, when it came out, that a film that was admittedly very brutal and had this dour, pessimistic view of society. You rarely see that. I wonder if in five years, if we've gotten more films like it, if I'll appreciate it the same way that I did. Not saying it know. was bad. Overrated. Everyone, everyone was going crazy for it. Eh, I also it, thought it was going to suck. So maybe was, that's part of the reason why maybe it You went in with low expectations. I yeah. actually went in with high expectations. I thought there were really cool parts the way Todd Phillips did s- certain shots and stuff was very cool. Joaquin Phoenix is great. He's one of my favorite actors yeah. in Hollywood. Uh, didn't love him. Yeah. I thought Heath Ledger, it's a different right. Joker. Is, you're, yeah. you're at different points. The whole premise, though, the whole point of the Joker is that he doesn't have a backstory. Right. That's why I was giving, kind of skeptical about the whole thing coming in. It should have never been a movie. It Well, the one argument I have is there's a whole lot that's left up to interpretation and open-ended where it's not a complete point A to point B to point C origin story. There's a lot of ambiguity there where I was like, all right, maybe like I can buy this as a, a possible joker origin story so you're going with like the it was all a dream like this is what uh, not there but i think there's elements to it where he's an unreliable narrator let's say i would, I would that's say fair that. yeah i enjoyed part i mean it, it's like well shot i do it's think cool i do think heath was the superior joker and even so i mean it was my you know in my top three favorite movies last year maybe even number one but i as great as phoenix was 
I wasn't like completely adamant that he deserved best actor. Like I would have been fine with Adam Driver winning it for Marriage Story. Marriage Story was good. I, that's I was that's tough. And Adam Driver's so good. I, I he's one of the it. best actors working today. Right? Uh, now. Yeah, he's yeah. he's phenomenal yeah. uh, and, uh, and almost like underrated in a way. I mean, well, it's because like Twitter he, likes him, but he's got to be one of those guys that's known for Star Wars. And while yeah. he's the best part of those movies, he's gonna go on to be so much more than i just think that. so too he's like, not gonna be mark hamill and i love mark no hamill, no he won't be mark hamill i think he's more talented than mark hamill mark hamill's skill set's really more like the voice acting cartoon yeah, type he, stuff. there's a lot of people who think he was the best joker in batman the animated series yeah. he's he's got that great cackle yeah he was great yeah mark hamill i think was more of a, a, a voice actor than anything else mm-hmm. yeah i like twitter dorks like you and me like the <laughs> yeah. movie the movie dorks they like driver but yeah. not so much he's a very unconventional movie star yes he's got like and he's great but he's kind of a doofy looking dude like yeah, tall, he lanky is. guy not a guy you would think oh that's you know hollywood leading man but he's so talented that like you you have to notice him yes he's yeah, yeah he's a powerhouse yeah. he's a powerhouse i yeah that was actually my next speed round question but you already answered it was best person ever played joker so you, I, mean, uh, I mean yeah i still better look, than nicholson though yes the thing yeah. is look a lot of people and I, I made a video essay about this on youtube where if you were between the ages of uh, 10 to 20 in 2008 the dark knight was your star wars that was the movie that became the accessible film to a lot of people. Like, yeah. And uh, it is still like it's still the biggest movie I've ever seen. I mean, pe- that was like, dude, it was the summer of Batman. People are carving into their fucking heads, like, you know, wearing the Batman symbol, dressing up like, you know, the, the Joker at, at the premiere. Like that was a it's the first time and only time in my life in which the best reviewed movie of the year was also the biggest film. Yes. Okay, yeah. And that, that's not common. Where, no, where the critics meet with as the rare commercials. As it gets, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very uncommon. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight, I'd have to really think about that. It's one of the best 10, 15 movies ever. I mean, at least on my list. It's, it's, I mean, it's the most rewatchable movie of it's, all time. Too. It's just yeah. phenomenal on so many levels. And it's so funny because I get why it happened, but it has cast such a big shadow that people forget how good Batman Begins was. Dude, I think all three of them are great. I agree. A, a lot of people shit on Rises. I like Rises I, a lot. I think Rises gets more respect than uh, Batman Begins. Well, I think it was bigger than Begins. I, I think they're both great. I think Begins, because... What's amazing? People Begins shit was, on the third one. Bane was great. I thought Bane was great, and there's there's a lot of nitpicks about the third one. And I'll try. You know, I know we're probably over at this point, but like, there's we're only it, over if you say we are. Okay, okay. The, like, you know, there's that big complaint in Rises. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen eight year old movie, uh, about oh, how did Bruce Wayne get back into Bat or back into Gotham? You know, after yeah. Bane. To me, like, it's weird to me that people pointed to something like that when in The Dark Knight, which my favorite movie of all time, by the way, the Joker while incarcerated in prison knows down to the exact second when these two buildings are going to be rigged to to explode like down to the exact second well, and no one and it's like dude, it's whatever maybe he had a mole in the in the police yeah, department yeah. it's whatever but it's like i, I think it, it was a film that was a victim of its previous success it's almost i, I mean it sounds weird. it's almost like making a sequel to casablanca or something where you take a film comic book films were already big but the dark knight was the movie where people went okay these aren't just good pieces of pop art this is actual art this is a film that like is a classic that people are going to respect and are the, yes. the academy is going to take uh notice to and you follow that up it's borderline impossible because everyone has in their head the idea of the movie they want to see and it's never the movie that actually comes out i thought it was great yeah yeah uh, it's phenomenal i was like one of the best trilogies christopher nolan christopher nolan or david fincher i could i could have that argument for three hours yeah with myself. i think I love them. Those are my top two. In, to right now, some yeah. some order. I, they, neither one of them has made a bad film, in my opinion. They're just um, they're just well, a convi- okay. Alien Three, but that doesn't count. He was. Not, yeah. I didn't even watch Alien Three. Yeah. 
but they are a conveyor belt of good ideas, conveyor belt of good films and, and mm-hmm. art. But yeah, in the whole the whole like, oh, how did Batman get back to Gotham? Can we suspend a little disbelief yeah, when watching fucking oh, again, Batman? It's a victim please? of its own uh, success because the film is so grounded in its own reality that people expect if there's a sing if there's a single hair out of place, the whole movie sucks. Like, the, the one thing I will say, and the reason I always liked Batman and not the other superhero movies is. Batman didn't really have superpowers. No, he never has. It, I could. I only had to suspend like a little bit of disbelief. Like I can believe that a guy that's worth like five billion dollars could decide, like, yeah, I'm going to just beat some ass and and pay somebody to come up with like a rocket ship car and yeah. like, yeah, it's and that's not why, realistic, but it's more believable than a guy flying. But that's why Begins is so awesome because you have Morgan Freeman in there being like, I built this, and I built this, and you're like, a lot of that stuff, like the the hang gliding suits or whatever, it's like. Those are things that are like tactical things that do actually exist yeah, in the real yeah. world. Like it's it's improbable, but it's not implausible. Exactly. No. And yeah. if you read into like the raid on Bin Laden's compound, I mean, it sounds like a scene from a Batman yeah, movie. Yeah. Like they're like repelling down. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's actually like it's it's like 92 percent realistic. Batman. Yeah. Like there's you just have to suspend a little bit. No one's like throwing a fireball or anything like out, right. of, their, out of their hand or something. Right. Uh, it's the best series of all time in that genre. In my opinion, mm-hmm. but anyway, I was going to ask you in conclusion with, and it's a perfect wrap up for this topic: yeah. is best Batman ever, not movie, best actor to play Batman. I, I've I said I think Batman and Spider Man are James Bonds. Your favorite is the one you grew up on. Like my dad yeah. grew up on Sean Connery; yeah. he loves Sean Connery. I grew up on Craig, so Craig is probably my favorite. I I fully acknowledge the flaws in Bale's version. The voice, the voice Yes, the voice everyone. Oh, I don't hate it as much as everyone else it's does. It's terrible. It, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's unforgivable. It, it's bad. Especially for, I mean, one of the top five actors, you know, or top oh, ten yeah. actors. I mean, this dude is, is amazing. Yeah. The reason I still st- say him is because it's the only time in which Bruce Wayne as a character has been as interesting as his villains and as interesting as Batman. Like, the, one of the complaints people had about Rises was that he wasn't in the suit that much until the last act. To me, that, w- that was a, a success and not a failure because Nolan succeeded in what he wanted to do, which is make a series where Bruce Wayne is every bit as interesting as Batman. So I think his portrayal, like, there's there's subtleties to his performance as Wayne that I think are are excellent. And I still probably put him at number one. I think Keaton is very good. I still, dude, I still look at him like, man, I think he's a bit miscast. Like, I, I, I think he's a never bought it. He's a, he's a great actor, and what's weird is he, he got that role after playing Beetlejuice. He would have been a better Joker. I think, yeah, he could have like, done Joker yeah. with the crazy eyebrows. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he um, could have done that. I think you know, outside of Clooney, I think all of them have merits. Personally, I mean, this is outside. This isn't live action. To me, the best voice. Is the animated series Kevin Conroy with doing the never uh, seen it. it the Arkham games and the animate to me and Mask of the Phantasm which is a really good not uh, a cartoon anime. guy unless it's South Park but you know I, I get, I'm usually not either but that's yeah, yeah that transcends its genre I'll, I'll defer to your expertise in Thank that regard yeah. so well Chris Castellani who is on record now as apologizing for single handedly perpetuating the destruction of Hollywood as we uh, want I'll, to do I'll it. take credit for it no yeah. more Goodwill Hunting or no more Shawshank Redemption or Seven or even Wedding Crashers or Old School because of the man across from me kind enough to join I us I have that much power you well uh, you might in a couple years with your Twitter following yeah. I, you, you wield a big sword you got a much bigger following than I do so thank you for letting me leech off your massive audience tonight uh, you, you know i gotta say in rapping uh i think you're you're one of the best at what you do i want you to stick with it 
because you have these moments of doubt where you don't know where this is going. You yeah. got to be patient. My man, Colin Cowherd, who's got his little picture next to me, he's, he's you know my hero, my legend, the guy I look up to. He was kicking around doing minor league baseball games when he was older than you. Mm-hmm. Didn't pop until he was in his mid-30s. Took him a long time. I think you're going to get there. Stick with it. You're fantastic. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for having me on. This was this is a lot of fun. Happy to have you. Real quick, want to thank our sponsor, the Michigan Peddler. We've been peddling them since the show began. Early supporters of Spiro Avenue. We love what they do. You will, too. Check them out. They're all over social media at MIPeddler, michiganpeddler.com. Just Google them. I mean, you don't have to take Spiro Avenue's word for it. Just Google them. Let the Google reviews do the talking for you. 4.9 out of 5. Insane. Nobody gets that. Go to the Capitol Grill. Look them up. They're the best steakhouse in town, right? 4.6, 4.5. They don't have no 4.9. Check them out. Michigan Peddler. It's a blast. Downtown Detroit. They'll buzz you all over town. They have these big COVID boards now. Hey, I might just go by myself. I might ride around town by myself on one of those bikes. It looks like a riot. So check them out. Support them. Big sponsor of ours. We appreciate it. Ben Augusta, who went to school with Chris Castellani. Yeah, we had a class together. This is a college uh, reunion for you two, so I'm happy to be uh, facilitating that. So you're welcome to you guys for, for that. But So, Ben, great job uh, in the chair the second time for you. Hopefully you're not uh, freaking out over there. How did we do, Ben? Why don't you tell me? Uh, okay, a couple of mistakes, but uh, second uh, time around, what are you going to do? How, how do I look? Do I look good? As long as you look handsome. Right? Yeah, see? He has to say these things. So anyway, Roberto, I think, is up north. Our executive producer who's uh, overseeing the whole media aspect of this. Ben has gone uh, balls to the wall with this. Every time I, I pick my phone up every five minutes, there's like six new notifications of stuff posted from an account I used to run but never used. Ben, you're the man. I love you. What you're, you know, what you're doing is just awesome. Love my audience. We've had uh, 15,000 plus on every show so far. Awesome. It's, it's crazy. So I don't know where these people are. I keep saying it. It's fantastic. But appreciate all the support out there. Chris, I'd love to have you back sooner than that three-year window that I talked about, but definitely in three years. So you can say, told you, buddy, have a little faith. In we'll see. I, hope so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> have a little faith. I do not. You do. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Spiro Avenue Show. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with a, a big slate. we got a few cool ones coming up. Thank you for joining us.